Do you love true crime, but are looking for something different? It sounds like a sitcom. It does. The Benders. The kind of assholes you should probably leave them alone. Do you like learning about cases so off the wall they can't possibly be true? Her wig is enormous, but it is lifted off her head by a monkey. Do you love history, but want to hear about what they didn't teach you in school? It's just got a almost where you hang your horns sign. <laughs> Do you like laughing awkwardly about cases that are bizarre and a little strange? They'd be able to wield so many knives with all of their little arms. <laughs> then we have the podcast for you. Join me, Lindsay. And me, Madison, for Ye Old Crime. Where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. Listen every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime. to Weird Distractions Podcast, a weekly podcast where we chat true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, folklore, a little bit of this and a little bit of that to provide you a distraction from everyday life. I'm one of your hosts, Alex, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host... Christy. And this week, surprise, we are doing a double feature, which means you don't get one weird distraction, you get two. So, happy Halloween, motherfuckers. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise! Surprise! And this week we are chatting true crime, so you know we're going to be talking about awful things. (laughs) And horrendous cases. Because we love it. Because we love it. Well, yes. I don't love it, but we don't love it. We have a mutual interest in it. Mutual, dang, there we go, there we go. Before we dive into the cases, though, we have a little bit of housekeeping to attend to. So first and foremost, we enjoy telling you each week about our needs for distractions. That's actually kind of half the premise of the show, to be honest. <laughs> and we know that you folks listening also enjoy hearing about these distractions. But, you know, we kind of thought, okay... Christy and I always need the same, same, always need a distraction from the same things, whether it's work or life. It just never seems to be anything else. And not saying that we're boring because, hello, we have a podcast. Life is boring. (laughs) Well, okay, Christy, Christy's admitting that she's boring, but. Anyways, we decided that going forward, we would also try and find some news headlines that kind of make us think, ooh, need a distraction from that, and kind of try and implement that in our weekly episodes. So you'll still hear about our needs for distractions, like our personal needs, but then also just things that we find in the news or on social media that make us think, ooh, I need to not think about that anymore. But also I need to tell all of our listeners because they also need to be put through uh, what we what we saw. Mm-hmm. So Christy, what is your need for a distraction this week? My need for a distraction this week is um, I'm not going to do the new tale that we're doing. I'm going to keep to the boring script of it's my work and also the closing of my house, which I get in excitingly two and a half weeks or so now is Ooh. coming up. So everyone wants money and that's stressing me out. <laughs> You know what? That's totally fair. I hate it when people ask for money for things that I have purchased. So I get it. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know I did this to myself, but it's a lot right now. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I hear you. And do you know what else is a lot? What's a lot? 
my distraction this week. So I'm going to read a little screenshot that I took from thedailymail.com. And the (laughs) headline of this article, which unfortunately I don't have the... I don't have the author, so my bad. But it's Daily Mail, so who knows? It it is what it is. It is what it is. So the the headline of this reads, Woman flees her house at 4 a.m. after finding a four-foot-long python wiggling around her toilet. Oh, that's disgusting. Yep. Okay, so Laura Trainter was left shaken when she went to use her toilet in the early hours of Saturday morning, only to find a four-foot python in the bowl. Laura said she called a well-known UK animal rescue center, but got a message that it didn't open until 7 a.m., so she had to improvise. She was in such a state of shock that Laura ran out of her house to tell a friend who was convinced she was drunk. And essentially, based on what I've read, she kind of thought it was like an escaped pet. But needless to say, I believe Laura is fine. Thank you to the Daily Mail for that uh, that Fun fear. Yeah, that new fear that I have. And that was based out of the UK, by the way. I don't know if I already mentioned that. But yeah, I had to go through it. Now everyone else has to go through it. And I think what we need to do at this point is to get distracted. So Chrissy, you are starting us off on this week's true crime double whammy extravaganza. Why don't you why don't you tell us about your case? I am dying. Get it? Get it? No, we're not starting with the puns already. Okay, you know what? Okay, I'm I'm just all right. Fair enough. That that was that was a low blow. It's okay. I get it. <laughs> Cute me. Okay. So for this week's distraction, we will be discussing the likes of your historically murderous girl. Hell's Bell, or more formally known as Belle Gunnis. Oh, and this was a Patreon pick, correct? From Angela. It was. So I hope you enjoy this little tidbit, Ange. And I'm just going to let everybody know as a warning that you're in for a bit of a doozy. If you don't already know the story, I'm just going to let you know that it's just a little spoilers of like, who really didn't this woman kill? I'm just going to say that right now. But we'll dive into it. Belle was born Brynhild Paul Statter Sorseth on November 11th, 1859 in Norway, Alex's favorite place. <laughs> because that, for those who don't know, that is where my paternal side of the family is from. So Your roots, that's where it's from. So she was the youngest female of the eight-child clan belonging to Paul Peterson Storseth and Barrett Allstatter. There isn't too, too much detail on her upbringing other than they were raised on a farm. She was uh, contracting herself out to other local farmers, being a dairy maid and a category of sorts, whatever that pertains to. But all we know for sure is that Belle wanted to leave home, travel to the United States, just as her sister Nellie did a time before, and kind of get out and enjoy her life a little bit more than living the somewhat uh, boring life on the farm. I'm not quite sure what she was looking for. But this occurred sometime after 1881, when she immigrated to the U.S. of A. to live with Nellie, her sister, in Chicago. This is also when she changed her name to Belle to begin her fresh start, I would say. Her American life. Yes, the American dream. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what they say. <laughs> don't know if I, if anywhere really is the dream, but. Like, I enjoy Canada, but I don't know. Some people don't. <laughs> some, some, some things about Canada, though. I'm not going to lie. Our maple syrup isn't always that great, if you know what I mean. Beavers can't always save us. Exactly. Belle found work as a house servant after her arrival in Chicago. Working as a servant, I believe this gave Belle kind of her like high-end taste and striving for a life more like those that she worked for because she lived with them. And she's like, "Mm, I like all these nice things. I really want this all for myself. 
Makes sense. So. She had that, you know, Aria Grande, I want it, I got it kind of lifestyle, but wasn't it seems that way. really getting there quite yet. I get it. I get it. I vibe with it. Mm-hmm. So according to her sister, Nellie, this is kind of like the beginning of what her money craze came from because she became a little bit obsessed with just wanting the, the high life. I'm not quite sure. Fair enough. This was just the beginning for Belle and her life that had so much yet more to come. In her 25th year, so in 1884, Belle married a man named Mads Albert Sorensen. They lived in Chicago, but it wasn't the dream life for Belle because they weren't living the high life still yet. Mm, and what, his name was Mads, like M-A-D-S? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I kind of like that. I don't know why. He has like a cute short name, but that's his real name. That's his real name. In case you didn't know. <laughs> Mad for Mads. But, oh, that's why I like it. It's easy to, it's easy to zhuzh. Zhuzh it up. Zhuzh it up. <laughs> but anyways, their lifestyle wasn't up to par for Belle. So Belle and Mads opened their, opened a confection shop in downtown Chicago in 1896. However, the business was not successful amid Belle's attempts. The shop ended up burning down, unfortunately. Oh, shit. That's not good. No, it was not good at all. There was suspicion of arson, potentially, as the stories did not really add up in the end. There was something about, like, there was a kerosene candle or a blight or something, and they couldn't find mm-hmm. the light, but that was what started it, and, you know, right. didn't look great. But. There was a lot of uh, different stories, and those stories weren't adding up. Mm-hmm. But either way, Mads and Belle got the insurance money from the shop. So happy to them. Get some money back. Then they purchased their first home in Texas, only to have that home also destroyed in a fire in 1898 as well. Wow. My suspicions are peaked. Yes, highly peaked. I'm seeing red flags all over the place. One fire. Okay. Two fires. Mm, Suspicious. Don't tell me there's going to be a third fire. We'll get to it. <laughs> Shit. You can't pull a me and be like, we're reading the plot already. You know what? I do I do know the case. I'm not remembering all the bits and details, but yeah, I'm not going to try and pull a you. I mean, I am, but I'm, I'm, I'll, I will hold it back. I'll try and control myself. So insurance from that home was collected as well for the second burning place that they had. And they went on to get to their next home to find their newfound future yet again. Prior to and during the course of all of this, Belle and Mads then started to grow their family. Started to grow their family. Their four children were Caroline, Axel, Myrtle, and Lucy. Sadly, however, Caroline and Axel had died young. It is believed that they suffered from acute colitis, but there were speculations that there were symptoms of colitis kind of mimicked of a poisoning, apparently. Of course. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. So, did she poison her children? I don't know. No, it's uh, it's sounding pretty suspicious. I'm not going to lie, but it's all, I'm assuming back then it was kind of hard to tell. Yes, who knows? But she was coincidentally, she did have life insurance policies on all of her children for some reason. And lo and behold, she cashed it in to get that again. Okay. okay. Like what, properties. <laughs> what is it with Americans having light? Like, I, I don't understand having life policies on your kids but actually that that reminds me we got a message from emily from pineapple pizza podcast Mm -hmm. and she had brought that up okay so she said that at one point when she had a life insurance policy done there was an automatic policy for her children if they passed away it's usually to cover the cost of a funeral it's been a long time since i looked at the actual paperwork she said but but I'm wondering if it's just like an automatic thing. And I mean, I I don't know, I, I guess. But it just seems weird. I don't know. I, I never, you never really hear about that 
in like Canadian true crime cases that I can think of at the top of my head. No, like if you're going to get an insurance policy, like I'm going to buy for myself, but I'm not going to make sure I get every single thing for my children. Make sure they're all covered if something happens right away. Like, no. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. But I mean, I guess, who knows? Uh, maybe, Maybe it's more normal there than it is here. What do we know? Two motherless people here. We just have cats. We don't have life insurance policies on our cats. So... If anyone was wondering, but anyways, sorry, continue. I should look into that for my cat. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, we might have to end this call. We we might need to do some research for our cats. Yes. Also, I have no idea how this came into play, but after her children's deaths, there seemed to be an adoptive child in the household, according to a census that was done on June 13th, 1900. It'll come into play further along into the story, but this was a 10-year-old uh, girl named Jenny Olson, and... Yeah, somehow she kind of came in, became part of the family. This was on the census, but it was after the two kids had died. So I don't know kind of hmm. when it was introduced. Interesting. Then the kicker is Mads had passed away on July 30th, 1900. Oh, no, not Mads. Yes. Damn. It was coincidentally the day his two life insurance policies overlapped. So this was Belle's new scheme to be like, hmm, which day should I potentially kill my husband if that's what happened? That's the day she picks, of course. I mean, obviously it's horrible. In the, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that anyone should plan to murder anybody because let's that that would just be awful advice from us. But mm-hmm. I will say, if you are if you were planning that, that would probably be the best day if you're killing for money. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying I condone it. I just am saying I get it. I guess? Question mark. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> so Mads exhibited signs of strychnine poisoning and his family demanded an autopsy but no autopsy was conducted as it didn't seem necessary with Mads being diagnosed with an enlarged heart that a presumed cause of death was heart failure according to his doctor see you always got to get an autopsy the second mm-hmm. someone doesn't get an autopsy the second my suspicions go from zero to 100 especially because the family was the family was demanding it so why didn't we just get it done i know it wasn't needed potentially but they asked so- for it Wait, why the family was de- like Mads's family was demanding it, but Bell was like, "Nah, it's it's all good." Yeah, and the doctor was like, "Yeah, it's because he had an enlarged heart." This and reminds they just let me. It go. This totally reminds me of the Janie Lou Gibbs case that we covered a couple episodes ago, where at one point I think when she had poisoned her one of her sons, like her eldest son, mm-hmm. his wife was like, "No, no, 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 we're doing an autopsy. This is this is weird. We're doing an autopsy." So. Yeah, no, the second someone, whether it's a spouse or a family member, says, no, we shouldn't do an autopsy, you should do an autopsy. Suspicions heightened right there. Why not? Yeah, exactly. Oh, my goodness. And, Alex, want to guess how much Mad's life insurance policy payout was? Oh, uh, what what time frame? This is the 1900s, correct? Hundreds. Uh, what, uh, you, I, I'm going to say... Ten thousand dollars. Good, good try. Oh, <laughs> um, it. it was a whopping eighty-five hundred dollars. So so Ooh. close. But wow. uh, and that was according to the Legends of America, and that amount back then is equivalent to on today's two hundred and forty thousand dollars. Wow, that's... So that was a lot of time change back then. Yeah, that was a lot of time change. Mm-hmm. So Belle was making bank for sure. If this is her new thing. Doing some insurance fraud. Yeah, and okay, so she's already cashed two life insurance policies on her two youngest children, Axel and uh, Caroline. Caroline, and, and then now her Mads, plus the fires, right? Because she did the one in Chicago and in Texas. Well, she quote yeah, there unquote, was a confection shop in yeah. where they first moved, and then they moved to Texas, and then that one dropped, that one burned down. Wow, homegirl is 
like I said, living that Ariana Grande, she wants it, she's got it kind of lifestyle, I guess. Mm-hmm. Apparently. But mind you, with all the grief, trauma, and sorrow that should be potentially felt or should be felt, and the, the payoff isn't the greatest, if you know what I mean. Yes. Like, she should be sad about her children and her husband. I don't know if she is, but it is what it is. So it was time for Belle to get out of Dodge, clearly. She took her funds and her children, and she bought a quaint little farm in La Porte. Although it didn't take long for Belle to get back into the habit of making some quick cash, as I'm sure she insuranced the property and such immediately. And with that being said, shortly after she moved in, the pavilion and a carriage house that was on the property both burned down. Oh my god, Belle is on fire. Well, not literally, because she's still kicking at this point, but where so she went from texas to laporte yes okay where how far is that do you know uh that i don't know idea you know what we're canadian it's fine we can get away with it eh but yeah sure. I just, i'm just <laughs> curious like is she you know state hopping at this point because you'd, you'd think she'd have to you would think so just to kind of make a difference like she couldn't go super yeah. close yeah. We'll, we'll google it well yeah we'll we'll yeah we'll figure it out mm-hmm so yes, both those burnt downs. And also another thing, like if this is her thing where she's burning things down to make money, I would hope she's kind of switching insurance companies because I know if like I have a claim on an insurance company, it's there for like six years. And if I go somewhere else, everyone else is going to know about it. So I don't really know how these insurance companies and these policies are not kind of overlapping to know what's going on. Yeah, no, no kidding. Also, just for reference, in case anyone is, well, anyone listening from the States is literally pulling their hair out because us Canadians are like, we don't know where Laporte is. It's in Indiana. <laughs> so she was state hopping, just to clarify. We, we, we. So after time in Laporte, Belle cozied up to a widower of her own named Peter Gunnath. Oh. They had wed on April 1st, 1902. April Fool's joke on Peter, though, because boy, he made some choices and they weren't in his favor. E. And also E on the date. I mean, I'm not here judging anyone that gets married on April 1st, but... Yeah, that's not like, oh, as tacky, but not tacky? I don't know. It's like my thing against, like, New Year's and Christmas things. Yeah, it's... it's. I feel like with April Fool's, though, it's like, so what? Is your is your entire wedding just going to be a bunch of gags and jokes and pranks? Like, how do oh, you... That was the thing that would be so... Ugh. Oh, I would be so miserable. But mind you... Once again, we don't have children. We also don't have rings. So who are we to judge on this fine day? But no. yeah, it sounds like he's getting maybe a little bit more than he bargained for. Sadly. <laughs> and just one week after their wedding, Peter's previous infant child had died of unknown causes when in the care of Belle at home alone. Oh, no. Oh, come on. No. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to bet you that kid probably had insurance, co- insurance policy. Mm. Is it? Do we know if they, they had it, or is this just kind of us speculating wildly? That's me speculating, but I'm going to assume so. Yeah. Because yeah. what didn't she insure? Fair enough. She probably fucking insured the water coming into the house for crying out loud. Who knows? Honestly, what can't you insure, or what couldn't you insure back know. then? <laughs> I think if you're willing to pay for it, then I guess if you're paying your premiums, they don't care. Yeah, that's true. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Yes, but just you wait. Then Peter dies... In December of 1902, there was supposedly, and I say this in quotation fingers, a meat grinder incident where oh. it bludgeoned him in the head, falling oh off of a shelf. Oh my. Oh no. Mm-hmm. Peter. Jeez. But it was said that one of Belle's younger kids were telling their friends and people, and I quote from the Laporte Library article, mommy brained Papa with a meat cleaver. <laughs> what did that child say? 
Mommy brained Papa with a meat cleaver. Brained? Yeah, like bludgeoned, brained. She's not like their child. Holy (laughs) shit. What? What? Oh my god. Therapy immediately for that child. Get it out of. Yeah, oh my. I just. I am gobsmacked right now. What in the hell? And no one did anything with that. They're just like, "Mm," and then they let it like go off because they said it was an accident. I have very few words to say. Some of them being, what the fuck, Belle? And second of all, why is no, why are no police after her immediately? Like, why is there not an investigation open yet? I'm so Confucia about this entire situation. Very Confucia. Oh my God. I find it awfully suspicious as we already have been sounding like, and you know that he was insured for sure in the sum of $3,000. Like, what, was there just another murderous case? Like, were there so many murder <laughs> cases at that point in time in LaPorte, Indiana, and in Texas, and what have you? I mean, I, I guess that's also why Belle was state hopping, so that, you know, the second anything got suspicious, she was gone. But still, mm. it's just... I just know this from my uh, previous criminal minds expertise, but it's good to um, go on cross state lines because then different bureaus won't kind of coincide with each other until the whole thing gets involved. But it's more likely you're not going to get caught. Yeah, I mean, when don't take note on that, people. That's not anything to know. Yeah, we're not giving tips. But I feel like we're also giving tips, but we're, that's not the intention. Um, but what I was going to say is, wouldn't it just be nice if all police forces worked together? Wouldn't that be nice? I feel as though if that was w- how things worked, maybe cases would get solved a lot faster. Mm-hmm. <sighs> we can mm-hmm. dream. We can dream. Yes, but a little surprise was to come from Peter, however, and that Belle was pregnant at the time of all of this happening. Oh, no. And she gave birth to a baby Philip in the spring of 1903. So wait, did Peter know she was pregnant? I don't know if he knew, but like mm-hmm. she also didn't make it common knowledge when he died and stuff. She just kind of kept it to herself until she had the baby. Ah, oh, interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I guess he died December of 1902 and she had the baby in the spring of 1903. So it was probably pretty close. That Like she was probably starting to show. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It'd be interesting just to know if he knew and if maybe there was some kind of tension or... Or what, you know? But regardless, that's just me spiraling with thoughts and what have you. Continue. So, after the loss of Peter, Belle had taken care of the farm and to support her children. She hired many farmhands to help out with the day-to-day chores. She did a little bit herself. But Belle got lonely. And loneliness causes one to love or to kill. Who knows? (laughs) That sounds... It sounds like it sounds like you're reading something off of a like a Hallmark movie. Like you're trying to do an intro for. <laughs> no, I made that up myself. Thank you very much. Wow, Hallmark, get at Christy McCann. She's your new spokesperson. Well, not spokesperson. I don't know. Sales pitch, marketing. We'll, we'll find you a job. Don't worry. Yeah, loneliness loves or kills. I don't know. <laughs> Belle gave me Craigslist vibes when she apparently placed ads in the newspapers around the area looking for a. Husband, air quotations again. Mm, interesting, interesting. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. She put out some ridiculous write-up, basically saying, I'm well off, and I hope you are too, and you can contribute to this arrangement together. Wow. That's corn spot. There was more to that, but that's my little spiel on how it came out. I love it, though. I like, Fresh, French, I almost said French. Chef's kiss. kiss. <laughs> Chef's kiss, yes. Chef's kiss. I, I love that kind of mentality. It's like, hey, 
I got some money. I want you got some money. Hopefully. Yeah, I want someone who has money. Let's put our money together and I don't know, buy a bunch of life insurance policies, apparently, because that's that's her <laughs> MO. But yeah, I, I, I love the vibe. I mean, don't love yeah, like her. You- Love the vibe, though. Love some of it, but not all of it. So she would begin writing these pen pals, basically devoting her love to them, asking them to abandon their lives, sell off everything, and bring all their savings with them to come marry her. And don't tell anybody you're leaving, where you're going from, basically. I mean, interesting. I was going to say smart, but, like, I also, I just want listeners to be very clear. We don't condone any of this kind of shit. I mean, yeah, we oh, no. earlier we joked for, like, haha, yeah, you know, if you're going to do it, do it this way, because clearly that's, that's how she got away with it. But I just... Belle, come on. Be better. Be better, Belle. Yes. And I don't know about back then, but in today's dating world, that's kind of fucked up. And that'd be a huge red flag to go with that person. A thousand percent. It's, I mean, Belle paved the road for red flags. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) What do I know about this? Because maybe that's why I'm single. Because I don't uproot my life for complete strangers. I don't know. I appreciate you don't do that. No, because you'll probably lose a friend because I'm going to get murdered. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. If you're listening, you're like, hey, there's this person that I met on Tinder or Bumble or whatever dating app you're using, and they want me to move across the country to be with them and tell nobody and this, that, and the other. First and foremost, it sounds like you might have a TLC show potentially in their future. Secondly, you might also get murdered, so don't do that. Don't do it. Either option is not really worth it. Let's be honest here. No. Be the smart person like me when I go on a date and I tell Alex code purple is my go-to and then I need her to call me. (laughs) Yep. And then I call her and say, I have a broken leg. You need to come here now. (laughs) Even though realistically, if I had a broken leg, I would need medical assistance. But anyways, what, what red flag, like who, who bought into these red flags that Belle was putting up everywhere? Yes, we will get to it. So neighbors living around Belle had recollections of many suitors doing just that always coming around the property. They would see them arrive, but they would never see them leave. Hate to see them go, <laughs> I guess. Love, love, I don't even know. Live, laugh, learn? I don't know. <laughs> Live, laugh, learn. There's so many different things coming to mind. First and foremost, hate to see them go, love to watch them leave was the first thing that came into my mind. Secondly, I hate this. Third of all, live, laugh, learn, avoid. Basically, I think the moral of your case, Christy, is avoid people. And avoid dating. Am I right? That sounds like a good model for me. Happy Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, they never left. Belle said basically the guys would just peace out and ghost at her. And I know the feeling, but this is not what happened here. (laughs) The young adopt, then the young adoptee, Jenny Olson was living with Belle had gone missing in the late 1906. Belle was telling the story that she had been sent to a Lutheran college in California abruptly. So Jenny was also gone. Oh, Nowhere to be found. That's that so we know sad. Of. Aww, I don't like it. I know. I'm going to jump back, though. Previously, I had said Belle wanted to keep the farm on track, and she'd hired many farmhands. One important farmhand that has relevance to the background in the story is one Ray Lamphere, whom she hired in 1906, but then had fired him in 1908 because, according to Belle, he was madly in love with her, became, he became obsessed, she became very jealous of her, all her suitors, and mm-hmm. she said that he was not mentally stable. She even tried to take him to court to deem him not sane. Wow. Thankful, yeah. I don't know if you could just do that back then, be like, this guy's annoying me, let's well, take him to court, or whatever. I mean, in the honor of talking about Halloween, well, briefly talking about Halloween, or talking about things on Halloween, way back mm-hmm. when, you could just point to a woman and be like, she's a witch. That's Everyone... True would be like, oh my god, she's a witch! And yeah, people were murdered and 
for literally no fucking reason. So, yeah, I'm not surprised, but once again, paving the road for red flags, <laughs> a.k.a. Bell Goddess. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, though, that didn't go through, and he was considered sane. But he was arrested for making a scene multiple times and trespassing on her property. We, hold tra- on, hold on, hold the phone. Yeah. He was arrested yes. for making a scene? Making multiple outbursts and stuff. And then go tra- trespassing on her property. On her property, he was doing these outbursts. Okay, okay. I, I get the trespassing, but when you say making a scene, I was a little Confucia. But you know what? And also, for those listening, confu- I say Confucia. I don't know That's why. Confused. It's confused. I'm. They always say never do inside jokes on a podcast. Mm, so my apologize. But you know what? It's Confucia now. We're all Confucia. Welcome to 2021. Anyways, my bad. Continue, Christy. Yes. So, making the scene, trespassing, and he was uttering threats as well. Belle even went as far to get all the remaining children. She went over to a lawyer, had a living will done up, and had all of her children as the beneficiaries in case anything happened to her because she was scared of Ray. Suspiciously, this all happened the day before it all ended. Oh. Ooh, I like I like how you made that very spookily sounding. Mm-hmm. Sorry, continue. (laughs) Then on April 28th, 1908, Bell's new farmhand, Joe Maxson, awoke to the smell of smoke. He was put up on the second floor of the Gunnis home, so he was living with them, an in-house farmhand. And he looked out to the hall, called for the family, but the fire was engulfing the house too quickly, so he had to jump from the second floor window out to survive. And he couldn't help anybody else. Aww, that's so sad. He had went out to town to get help, but by the time help arrived... The house was in ruins and ash. County Sheriff Albert Smutzer was at the scene to spearhead his conclusions on what happened. There were four bodies found in the rubble, a headless corpse, and three children's bodies. Oh, shit. There was immediate speculation that there was it was arson and foul play the way the house was burned. Items from the upper levels were on top of the bodies as if the bodies were d- dead in the basement already. Oh, wow. That's ee, not a good scene. Not a good scene at all. No, not a good look. County Sheriff already had his number one suspect in his sights as, obviously, Ray Lemphier from his recent threats to Bell, and he was subsequently arrested for the murders after a witness could even put him at the scene just before the fire, apparently. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh, mm-hmm. damn. Damn. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Here it comes. <laughs> uh, I remember this part of the case. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. More wariness to add to the story. Many people believed that the headless corpse was not that of Bell Gunness. The body size, weight, height did not match based on estimations made from the corpse, and it seemed smaller than Bell. Although I'm not really quite sure what kind of estimations of technology they had way back then. Kind of depict off this very burnt corpse, but nevertheless. I mean, I'm going to be upfront and honest. I have a little sticky note in my office where it's like all my measurements because I... (laughs) I like to online shop. Sue me. So maybe she had that laying around. I don't know. Or, I mean, I, I wonder if, like, would doctors take those kind of measurements back then? You would think. Maybe that's one of the people think. that kind of helped out and said, like, maybe this doesn't look like her. But it seemed like, according to multiple people, that they think that it was not her, apparently. Yeah, that's interesting. Feeds mm-hmm. into the creepiness of it all. Yes. The body was deemed to be that of Balconis, apparently. But only by searching the debris from the fire did they find some kind of bridge work from a dental appliance. Oh. And the dentist confirmed that to be the work of Balconis. Hmm. But no DNA test could actually really prove that because there was no teeth. 
Well, yeah, and this, what what year was this? Like 1908 or 1909, you said? Yeah, 1907-ish. Yeah, so D- DNA was not even a thought, pro- like DNA testing was not even a thought process back then, I'm assuming. No, I would not think so. Not at all. But anyways, after further speculation that came from this condition of the bridge work, apparently it looked kind of unscathed from the fire, and not that one that would have been found in this such debris if it was in actually the house during the blaze. So Lanfear used this as his kind of his defense, saying that this was planted, kind of to make it look like it was her. He's telling people it's not her, but that didn't kind of really fly. So they just said that was Belle, and that was the end of it. Case closed, I guess. Mm-hmm. So even though he tried to use this as his defense, Lanfear was sentenced to two, I don't even know what this freaking range is, but two to 21 years for the murders on November 8th, 1908, regardless. But, what? I'm so, mm-hmm. okay, let's, let's back this murder train up a bit, um, because people died. So my thought would be manslaughter or murder, or, or at least arson, and normally that would that not eat? what i'm so confused confucia i am confucia what is happening what yeah, is and like what kind of range is that two to 21 years what the fuck what's, what's in between does he get out i don't know well and that's the thing i don't understand and i mean i i would assume it'd be just 25 to life right but this is the states i don't know america right in what's going on <laughs> specifically indiana because this all happened in indiana correct yes in LaPorte. okay yeah so indiana right in What's going on there? What what what, what is happening? What is going on? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> what is going on? But anyways, kind of to finish that up, you haven't heard the story yet, and you're beginning to kind of think, well, she's pretty much done because she ended it off and Belle died. Well, no, I'm gonna get to the grittiness of it now. Okay, wait. So there, <gasps> there's more victims potentially. We'll, we'll get to it. You just wait. Oh, I'm spooked out. <laughs> So one suitor, to be specific, was one Andrew Huglin. He had come from South Dakota and vowed to come be Bell's new partner via their correspondences. He had abandoned his life and his brother to come be at Bell's side. He brought his, all of his funds, like he was told, and they were, happily went to the bank, deposited said funds, and then Andrew left, aka disappeared. In what world would make someone wake up one morning and be like, you know what? First and foremost, I'm going to Laporte, Indiana to meet with this Norwegian woman who... Who writes me lovely love letters, apparently, and wants me to give up my life. Those love letters, I'm going to speculate wildly, were probably fire. Those things were probably... They had to have been. I mean, I I just, I don't understand. Mind you, I guess, you know, it's, it's, don't have to, like think about it too hard because now in 2021 if that situation was to arise we'd be like no that those are red flags those are bell gunness red flags we don't <laughs> we don't fuck with that kind of vibe we don't go that way <laughs> we don't go that way but what i just have a hard time believing is how someone could wake up one morning after sending love letters be like hey i'm gonna leave town i'm not gonna tell anyone i'm gonna abandon everything i know and I'm going to give someone who I haven't met fully in person yet. I'm assuming they haven't met in person. And I'm going to no. give them all of my money. Because yeah, that how sounds, fucked up is that? Yeah, that sounds normal. That sounds I like... I don't an, care how someone could send me like a lovely text or whatever. I don't know what you look like. I have no idea. Like, although you're like this lovely, wealthy lady. You want me to yeah. like mix, mix our wealth. But no, you have no idea what, what she looks like, what her life is like. If you're going to like that life, why would you give it all up? I don't know. 
And not only that, but I don't even know people in my current life now that I see on a regular basis that I'd give $20 to. Like, I love a lot of people. I've got a lot of lovely people in my life that I love. But what I'm saying is, why would you do that? Why? I don't know. And I guess I'm asking instead of saying. But once and I again. Tell you, I don't know why, but people yeah. are not smart. Once again, Indiana, what is going on? What is happening? Please write in. <laughs> Yeah, so Andrew disappeared. Apparently, Andrew's brother, Al Huglin, was corresponding with Belle prior to her supposed death, as he had not heard from his brother in some time. Belle told him that he was no longer there, and that he had probably left and went to visit relatives in Norway. I mean, as someone who would like to go to Norway, I get it. That would be, that would be my, I don't know, I'm, I'm just grappling at happiness, because this story is so freaking depressing. Angela, why? Why'd you... Why? I mean, I guess all of our true crime cases are very depressing. But if I was his brother, I would have gotten on the next train or gotten mm-hmm. the next horse and buggy or whatever mo- means of transportation and you know was available to me at that point in time. And I would have gone there, packing heat, asking Belle, what's good? Where my bro at? <laughs> and just... Called the police. Like, what? Did he not call the police? Well, there's more to the story. Oh, okay, sorry. I, You're I asking just, you so many questions right now. So many questions. I'm just. I. And I'm gonna apologize now because I'm probably butchering his name every time. But Al was not happy with his with that answer that Bell said he left. Right. So he obviously did not believe her, which good as a brother. That's fair. You should not believe this crazy woman. He saw the red flags. Yes. Yes, see for what it was. Unfortunately, Andrew did not. But anyways, so he was going to come visit and find out in person what had happened to his brother if he found some trouble and he wanted to talk to Belle. Be like, what's good? What's good, Belle? What's good? <laughs> so he did not arrive until May 2nd, 1908, unfortunately, which was just a few days after the fire. Did he walk there? <laughs> I know it's 19 or whatever, but... Well, I think he was probably landing to come and then didn't come till a certain point and then he realized, well, fuck, I'm too late because fucking house burnt down and she died apparently. <laughs> the weather got bad then it was tax season he maybe it was like it. hurricane season i don't know <laughs> <laughs> sorry i shouldn't be laughing but it's just like uh i mean thank god for transportation modern transportation because yeah Aww. that, that would have caused a lot of miscommunication and a lot of delays i bet Mm-hmm. So he was in contact with the county sheriff and explained his concern for his brother. He then asked to search the Gunnis property that was no longer housing anybody when he was startled to hear that as people were searching the grounds, they were looking for the, that missing head because there was a decapitated body. They came across teeth, men's watches, and other various bones. Oh, no. Furthermore, the newly farmhand, Joe Maxim, had shared that he was asked by Belle to bring mounds of dirt for the ground over by her hog hen, and the farmers that would drive by at night apparently would cons- could comment on seeing Belle out there digging holes from time to time in the night. And I bet you any money she wasn't planting any hostas or lilies, so... No, she told Joe it was garbage, that was literal rubbish, and she wanted it covered, mm-hmm. but... Mm, near the mm-hmm. hog pen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So they went back to the property on May 3rd, 1908 and dug up the ground in said spots and uncovered multiple bodies, one of which was Andrew Huglin. Oh man. I mean, I knew, I knew, I knew it you was knew it. I knew it, but it's still sad. Another missing person to be found was one Jenny Olson. Oh, <gasps> Jenny. Oh no. Yeah. Shit. Fuck. Bill, come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. 
God, I hate her. The digging continued for some time as I found whole and pieces of bodies and remains. The names of those that could be identified are as follows. Olby Budsberg, Thomas Linbo, Henry Gerhold, Olaf Zvenerid, John Moe, Olaf Lindblom, and Benjamin Carling. So that's who they could find for sure. Wow. She, just to point out the obvious, had a thing for Olafs. I was going to say, it's a very common name, apparently. There's like Ol, there was Olaf, and there's another Olaf. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised back then, and that's a very European... I mean, she's Norwegian. They might be from... You know, that neck of the woods. Who knows? I don't know. I'm just picking at straws of happiness, kind of. Not really. (laughs) Trying to find the light in the story, and there really isn't any. (laughs) Yeah, just hyper-focusing on not the murder pieces, Mm -hmm. even though there is the murder pieces are really right in front of our face, you know? Yes. There was also a long list of potential victims, many are unnamed, that most likely fell to Bell's antics, unfortunately. And Mm -hmm. most of the remains that were unearthed were unidentifiable, so no one can know for sure who they were, unfortunately. I wonder if they kept those remains, though, because I don't know if you saw in the news, and this would be a couple days after it was released, but they just identified um, one of the victims of John Wayne Gacy, right? And that was years ago. Yeah. So I wonder if, you know, I wonder if they kept those remains and maybe are looking at you know, testing them. And by the way, for those wondering who didn't see the news, the victim's name was Francis Wayne Alexander. So very unfortunate. But yeah, I wonder if they, if they've, if anyone has ever thought about testing those bones or DNA fragments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you think the main thing that the reason why they weren't somewhat unidentifiable is they said apparently the crude way that they were removed from the like the ground when they were doing oh. the thing. A professional forensics team or anything, but you would still think there's DNA on like part of it, like the inner bone. Yeah, stuff, so. you, you would think? Question mm-hmm. mark. I don't question know. Mark, question, question mark. Question mark. Indiana, please write in. Yes. So, 14 victims could for sure be placed based on evidence left behind from the teeth, the watches, the bone fragments. An estimated total victim count can't be said for certain, but some had said that it could be as many as 40 people on a property. Holy mother Teresa! That's a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's like between suitors and different farmhands she brought in. Maybe she didn't like them. She killed them. People that just came on a property she killed. I don't fucking know. Yeah, it doesn't seem as if, I mean, she does have a little bit of an MO in the sense of using people for life insurance policies. But I, it doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me if she's just one of those killers who just kills for the, for the hell of it. Kills every mm-hmm. day for, or would kill every day just for, you know, just to practice routine of some sort, right? Yeah. I get you. The gruesome accounts of these murders had to make you think, though, of those conspiracies that happened earlier of people thinking that Belle really wasn't dead. Because uh, they're like, well, we want someone to pay for this. And they're like, well, is Belle really dead? Was the headless woman truly Belle? I don't know. As I said before, there really is, there was no DNA to confirm that. And there still isn't to this day. There's no DNA test proving it's her, that body specifically. Okay, so... Can we get a petition started so that we can? Because I, I think... If it's plausible, why not do it? Why not? Be- I mean, if Belle was still alive, she'd obviously be dead today. There's oh, yeah. no way homegirls kicking around 2021 on Instagram, Twitter, whatever people are doing, right? Mm-hmm. But I still think just to say case closed, it's definitely her. Mm-hmm. Why not test the DNA? Why not test and just make sure? Be for certain. And I don't know for sure like where that bo- those body remains are anymore because there's a comment in one of the articles that because they just assumed it was Belle, that back when Peter and his infant had died in this in the cemetery, that's where they were buried, and then right. they then buried the four the other three kids and the body of 
assumed Bell with Peter, but then I guess Peter's family petitioned to get that body removed because they don't think it's Bell. So I don't know where that body went. They've had to have hidden it somewhere because I would assume if they had like a public burial site, that thing would be trash. Like I'm not, and I'm not saying that to be disrespectful. I mean, Bell is- It would pique people's curiosity for the shittiest part of them. I think we both know from other stories that when a serial killer or murderer, whenever their burial site is known to the public, that shit gets trashed. 99.9% Yeah, like it becomes a hotspot, not for the good things. Exactly. It brings out the trash in people because they're upset. So from those conspiracies, um, Ray Lamphere even came forward with information on his deathbed. At the time, he passed away in prison on December 30th, 1909 of TB, apparently. He had said that he accompanied Belle in the disposal of bodies. That's why he like had this grown obsession because he was actually helping her apparently all along. Mm. So he'd help dispose of these bodies. But he said he never murdered anyone, but that was all Belle that he just helped out but she was the one that brought the guys in she would even sometimes like dismember some of the guys in her basement and then she would bury them in these pits that she would dig at night apparently near the hog pen might i add mm-hmm. yes mm. and uh, ray had said they hired a housekeeper a bit before the fire and that was the person they used to cover up his bell's death like they removed oh. the, the, the lady's head and stuff like that and said that that was who that was hmm. but then everyone thinks it's bell what do you think christy i want to know your hot take I don't know, because there's no DNA, okay, but I'm sure there's fingerprints, or I don't know if they're, yeah. I guess they were burnt, so no, there isn't. Yeah, it's it's tricky, right? Because there's a part of me that wants to believe that maybe, maybe Ray did burn the house down and kill everybody, but then there's another part of me that also just isn't convinced, and I don't know why, I don't know if that's just a conspiracy theorist deep down in me that's wanting to question everything and believe in the mysterious, but I just, I think someone like Belle who had gone through life scheming and getting away with things and obviously very smart and very intelligent well smart and slash intelligence the same word description whatever mm-hmm. but you know what i mean i i just have a hard time believing that was her demise mm-hmm. and i have some more details to make you think on that mm-hmm. so bell was supposed to meet um ray after she said that she was one that set the fire apparently and she was to meet ray and to get out of town but the reason he was witness so close by is because he was meeting her but she never showed oh so she just said i'm getting the hell to dodge again and probably potentially maybe went to another state mm-hmm. or another country oh geez and who knows like there was write-ups of there was multiple potential sightings of bell after that nothing concrete or had been proven but she had been seen apparently and people would say that because mm-hmm. they were following the conspiracy of that like she's still alive right it's kind of the you know any celebrity who has passed away suddenly a couple years later people will say oh yeah i saw tupac in i forget what country it is but i saw tupac here and i saw steve jobs here it's those claims that make people question whether that person is actually gone or not right and to wrap this all up i will just say that the mysterious death of bell gunness will have to remain unknown for now. But as her murderous tendencies to kill her spouses, this we know for sure. And that is the end of the Belgana story. Ooh, oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for covering that. But Alex, I'm going to do your favorite thing. I'm going to list off my sources. You know I love resources. (laughs) Hit me with them. Yes. So from Legends of America article, Hell's Bell, Gunness, The Black Widow of the Midwest by Kathy Weiser Alexander, updated September 2019. The Laporte Library article, Bell Gunness by Unknown. A YouTube video, Bell Gunness by Draw the Life Tic Tac. And another YouTube video of Bell Gunness by our favorite, Bailey Sarian. Love Bailey Sarian. And a good old Murderpedia article as well of Bell Gunness by Unknown. 
Before we dive into my case, we're going to hear a quick podcast promo from one of our podcast friends. So stay tuned. Hey there, Rainbow Warriors. I'm CJ, host of Beyond the Rainbow, true crimes of the LGBT. My episodes focus on crimes committed by and against the LGBTQ community. I've covered cases you probably have heard of, such as Matthew Shepard, Brandon Tina, and the Orlando Pulse nightclub massacre, as well as some lesser-known cases like the murder of Ray Hainish, the Australian gay beat murders, and the suspicious disappearance of Lisa Lynn Stone. I cover cases brought to me by listeners like Penny Brummer, who I believe was wrongfully convicted, taboo cases such as lesbian corrective rape and murder in South Africa, and Pray the Gay Away camps. I discuss gay serial killers, women who pretend to be men to hook up with other women, and trans murders. I'm opinionated and uncensored. I know I'm not everyone's cup of tea, but surely I'm someone shot at tequila. No matter what your gender or orientation in life might be, please join me as I tackle rainbow crimes in search of unicorn justice. Remember, it's not a crime to be gay, unless you're a murderer. And we're back. So, it's my turn. And in a weird maybe extremely morbid way, I figured I would cover a true crime case with some kind of Halloween-esque to it, other than, you know, just another terrifying, horrifying, horrible... Murder story? Yeah. (laughs) With that being said, I'm going to chat about Canadian serial killer and rapist Wayne Clifford Bowden, also known as the Vampire Rapist and Strangler Bill. Yeah, this dude sucked. He was not great. Not a fan. I'm excited, but not excited. <laughs> I, I I see where you're coming from. You're intrigued. I'm guessing. Yes, that's the word. Intrigued, not excited. Yeah. I'm just it per- piques my curiosity. Yes. Well, before we get into the curious life of Mr. Wayne Clifford Bowden, I'm going to give a trigger warning as in this case, I will be discussing murder, sexual assault, and other themes that may not be suitable for some listeners. So as always, listener discretion is advised. If you have kids listening, maybe don't. I mean, I'm not here to give you parenting advice, but maybe don't, you know? Just, maybe don't. Maybe don't. I don't know. Anyways, let's talk about Wayne. Because this dude, once again, he sucked. So Wayne was born sometime in 1948 in the Dundas area of Hamilton, Ontario, which is approximately over an hour from Toronto. For those who don't know much about Dundas, it was once an independent town. However, now, similar to Toronto or the greater Toronto area aka the GTA, it is now part of the city of Hamilton. So Hamilton kind of absorbed Dundas. Listeners may remember us discussing Hamilton, Ontario, in episode 22 about Evelyn Dick. So around the time Wayne was born, I'm sure Dundas was a bit of a small town. There doesn't seem to be a hell of a lot of information regarding Wayne's childhood, to the point where I couldn't even find his parents' name or an actual date of birth, which, Christy, you know this pisses me off. You already knew. It's the second I said sometime in 1948. You want all the details, and if you don't get them, you're pissed. Basically, yeah, but I was already too heavily invested into the case to give up, so regardless, we're going to have to move forward, and like I said before, this guy sucks, so who gives a shit? His story isn't that important. His personal story is not that important. Is he going to be one of those ones where he goes up on our shitty person shelf? 
Oh, yes, he is. Absolutely. So what I was able to find out in terms of information was that he attended the Glendale Secondary School in Hamilton in the mid-1960s. Fun fact, this school was built in 1959 and is still functioning. And as you may be able to tell, I've had to fluff up my notes due to lack of information. So you're welcome for the random fun facts. We love Alex fun facts. Thank you. I appreciate it. While he was in school, Wayne was known to be muscular and quiet and known to be on the school's football team. He was reportedly very attractive. People said he just had really good looks, I guess. His face was all right. I don't know. I saw pictures of him and we'll post them on our uh, social media platforms. It's a no for me, dog. But hey, it it was the 1960s. The taste in people and looks was a different vibe. I'm just going to type. Yeah, not my type. Not not my type. Uh, After high school, Wayne reportedly worked as a model and as a traveling salesman. What was he selling? Uh, I believe at one point he was selling beef, but once again, I have no idea because there's <laughs> very little information out there. I can see this is already kind of frustrating you. Oh, yeah. Continue. <laughs> once again, I was already in too deep. Uh, it was a sum 41 situation. Yeah, I'm not going to feed into that pun. We'll move on. Okay. So even though Wayne was a model, he was a traveling salesman, he was on the high school football team, that's not exactly what he would go down for in the dark Canadian history section at the museum. Before we fully shift gears and discuss the crimes, I'm just going to once again wave my trigger warning flag because things are about to get not so great. And if you're not in a headspace to listen to it, totally fair and understandable, but this is your warning once again. You have been fully warned and we're going to continue. So Wayne seems to head east in the late 1960s to Ontario's next door neighbor, Quebec. I can imagine he packed his car, hit the road, and maybe was starting a new job or just wanted to change his scenery. The reasoning isn't fully known as to why he went to Quebec. What seemed to follow along with Wayne was fear, and although we haven't painted him to sound like an awful person, the picture of Wayne's life is just getting started. It was October 3rd, 1969, when Shirley Audette was found deceased behind her apartment complex in downtown Montreal. Shirley was discovered to have been strangled and raped, and further observed to have bite marks on her breasts. There was no indication of a struggle or that anyone had broken into Shirley's apartment. Police essentially thought that Shirley knew whoever had done this. It wasn't a break-in, it wasn't a mugging, it wasn't anything of that nature. Well, it still sounds like a very tragic death, and I hope she doesn't know them, because that's even more sad. Well, unfortunately, there was further speculation that she did. So according to the documentation that I read, one of Shirley's ex-boyfriends, whom I'm assuming was questioned by police, had told officials that she was reportedly seeing, quote, a very dominant, attractive man. However, this ex-boyfriend supposedly never knew of Shirley's new booze name. Before anything further could be figured out, police unfortunately were notified of a missing persons case in November. Marielle Archambault was last seen by her colleagues on November 23rd. After her shift, a man introduced only as Bill came to the store Marielle worked at and the two proceeded to be seen leaving together. Fast forward to November 24th, Marielle had not shown up for work and concerns were growing. Her boss supposedly decided to check in 
on Mariel at her apartment to see if maybe she was sick, maybe she was sleeping, she slept in. Her boss essentially just wanted to make sure she was okay, which is a lot more than most bosses would do. Let's just put it that way. I'm saying it's actually very nice that her boss was not caring and concerned that he went and checked on her because most were just like calling you being like, why don't you open your shift today? Where the fuck yeah. are you? Yeah. Yeah. Half the time they don't even know where you are. And they're like, I don't care as long as you're doing your job, do whatever. Well, that's my, that's, that's mine. But anyways, regardless. <laughs> When the boss arrived, they got assistance from Marielle's landlady to help open her door, as I'm going to assume that she didn't, like, Marielle didn't answer her boss knocking at the door, which, I mean, hey, if my boss came to my house, maybe I won't answer the door, but regardless, this was a little bit of a different situation. Once the door was open, unfortunately, the situation turned from questionable to devastating. Marielle was discovered within her apartment, deceased, laying on her living room floor. She had been found naked, lying underneath a blanket. Similar to Shirley, Marielle was also found to have bite marks on her breasts. The apartment appeared to have been wrecked to some degree, which investigators wondered if this was an indication that there was a sign of struggle or forced entry. During their investigation, police found a crumpled up photo within the apartment of a man. When they took this photo to Marielle's co-workers, it was determined that this was the mysterious Bill character they had met on November 23rd. This was considered a huge leap for police, yet it wasn't a big break in the case like it should have been. Police had first row seats on the struggle bus as they weren't able to connect this photograph with any known suspects in the area and weren't seemingly getting any hits when they distributed the photo for newspapers to publish. Once again, time passed with no further progress on Shirley or Muriel's case or any new news. That is until January 16th, 1970. Jean Way was only 24 years old and residing within the downtown district of Montreal. On the mentioned night in particular, Jean had a date with her boyfriend, Brian. Jean did not answer her door right away when her boyfriend knocked, which is considerably alarming to most of us. But Brian came up with some reasoning for this and decided to come back later. You know, maybe she was in the shower. Maybe, you know, she, I don't know, maybe she went for a quick drive somewhere. Who knows? But he he left? Like he, he didn't left. care? Yeah. Wow. That yeah. puts me the wrong way. Yeah, I don't I don't really know why, but Brian does come back. When he comes back the second time, more alarms and red flags were popping up. Jean's front door was now unlocked, and upon entry, Brian found Jean deceased on her couch. And I'm going to reference a direct quote from Murderpedia. Upon returning, Brian found the door unlocked and found her naked body on the sofa. Her breast chewed all over. It seemed that the killer had been in the apartment Brian was knocking at the door earlier that evening. An autopsy done by Dr. Jean Paul Valcourt found two small fibers under the finger nails of Jean's hand, indicating that, contrary to Marielle and Shirley, the victim had indeed struggled her assailant. So essentially, it was someone that Jean did not know, or someone that she was not expecting to come over. No, she probably answered her door thinking it was her boyfriend the first time, and then she hit his van. Yep. Someone's the wrong way that her boyfriend left. I don't like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to... I don't want to put Brian in a bad spotlight, but if you no, have no, but, if, you, yeah. if you have a bad gut feeling, go with your gut feeling. That's all I'm mm-hmm. gonna say, right? So people were becoming increasingly fearful as to what kind of monster, being nicknamed the Vampire Rapist, was roaming around the streets of Montreal and essentially wondering who was next. However, the fear would move west to Calgary, Alberta, in May of 1971. 
33-year-old Elizabeth Ann Portios was found deceased in her apartment by her manager after concerns grew that she did not show up for her job as a high school teacher. Similar to Marielle, there was an indication of a struggle within the apartment as it appeared that things were out of place. Elizabeth had also been raped, strangled, and found to have bite marks all over her breasts and neck. What was different in this scene, though, from the others was a broken cufflink that was discovered under Elizabeth's body. Elizabeth was found on May 18th, and supposedly her co-workers had seen her on the 17th in a blue Mercedes-Benz with a seemingly unidentifiable man. All they knew about this man was that he went by the name Bill and that the blue Mercedes he was driving had a bowl-shaped decal on it, which advertised beefs. Hence why I kind of think he was a traveling beef salesman, but, like, how did he travel? I mean, I'm assuming he had a cooler and put the beef in it? I don't know. It's kind of hard to travel with perishable things. Well, yeah, from Quebec to Alberta. That's mm-hmm. that's a long trip. That's a lot of ice change. Why are we focusing on this? Yeah, no, sorry. Anyways, she was with Bill. That's yeah, she, with Bill. Was, she was with Bill. And that's all they knew. All they knew was that he had a blue Mercedes Benz, a bull-shaped decal on it. His name was Bill. Then jumping to May 19th, police seemed to find this exact car nearby Elizabeth's apartment. Within hours, Wayne, a.k.a. the man behind the mysterious vampire rapist, had been arrested. So essentially, from what I gathered, Wayne slipped up left his car parked nearby her house. Her colleagues had reported the same car that was parked near her house as being the car of Bill, the last person they saw her with. So police literally waited by this car until Wayne came out, or AKA Bill, and they're like, hey man, uh, yeah, we need to talk to you. And one thing led to another and he got arrested. Just a good little police stakeout. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It's a good thing that police stayed there because I, God, I, I felt, I feel like he would have gotten away with a lot more for a lot longer if they had left or if they didn't follow up with this lead. Oh yeah, like there'd be way more victims and he'd be jumping around more. Exactly. Now, before I dive into the trial and aftermath, I will say there was another Montreal victim by the name of Norma Valiancourt who was only 21 years old when she had been found murdered in a similar fashion to Elizabeth, Shirley, Jean, and Marielle. However, Wayne supposedly denied murdering Norma, and a man by the name of Raymond Savi would later be convicted for the crime. Some online resources still claim that Wayne was responsible for Norma's death. However, it seems unclear with all the mismatch information there is out there about Wayne and, unfortunately, about all the victims, because there isn't a lot of information out there about each victim, which is very unfortunate. Yes, very unfortunate. So after Wayne was arrested in Calgary, he was extradited back to Montreal. At some point in the proceedings and the capture, the bite marks were further investigated. And this case actually brings in the first Canadian case where forensic odontology would be used in trial to try and convict someone. A local orthodontist by the name of Gordon Swan had reportedly tested the bite marks on Elizabeth's body against Wayne to see if there was a match. And there was. I also want to add a little random tidbit that apparently Gordon had also reached out to the FBI for assistance supposedly during the trial because, as mentioned, this is the first time forensic odontology was used in a murder trial. So this was big. And what do you do when you want, I don't know, help with big things? I guess you go to the FBI. I don't know. I guess. Basically. <laughs> and that is a very good thing that they brought that in because as gross as it sounds and is that a lot of assailants, you like do that. Like they bite victims and they do gross stuff like that and they can make teeth molds. Yeah. I mean, hell, I, kids bite, people bite. I don't understand. Don't bite people. 
If there's anything you want to take from my case this episode, don't bite. Well, actually, no, let's back that train up. If you are in a situation where you are being kidnapped or attacked or whatever, bite the person that's doing it because then then they'll trace it back to you. That's one thing I've learned in listening to way too many true crime cases. Always leave But other than that. Yeah. But other than that, that's it. Yeah, don't bite. So don't randomly just go up to someone and be like, hey, I want to bite you, because that's that's questionable. Anyways, using the forensic odontology seemed to bode well in the prosecution's favor, as well as the fact that Wayne supposedly also confessed to the murders. So, you know, him confessing was... It kind of helped the prosecution a lot. Wayne would reportedly be found guilty and sentenced to four life terms, which would commence on February 16th, 1972. Now, some sources claim that he was sent to Kingston Penitentiary right from trial. However, I saw that he may have spent time at Millhaven Prison, which is in Bath, Ontario. Also seems like he spent time at Laval Penitentiary, located in Quebec. I think Wayne probably was kept in Laval first before he was being transferred to the Ontario jails, but regardless, Homeboy was in jail. He was locked up. Wayne, though, would go on to make headlines twice after his imprisonment. Once in either in 1977 or 1984, accounts vary, which I roll, when he was granted a day pass in Quebec and seemed to have dipped out from his guard while they were at a local restaurant. I'm sorry. Yeah. If you're if you're arrested for murders, why are you getting a day pass? And why are you going to a restaurant having dinner? Yeah, so apparently Wayne had gone to the bathroom by himself without his guard, and that's where shit hit the fan and the guard lost him. So homeboy went to the bathroom and then dipped. And the guard was like, wow, am I getting foot with the bill again? Ha 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 ha. Nervous laughter before realizing that a literal murder rapist is on the loose in Quebec. And the bill is the last thing to worry about because you're fired. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. But anyways, Wayne was only gone for a total of 36 hours before officials found him at a nearby bar. And I'm laughing because it's like, oh, Wayne, you idiot. I'm not saying we want you to be smart and to flee the province or the country, but found at a nearby bar. Come on. Like, you're just... Yeah, why uh, would you escape a police imprisonment to be like, I'm just going to go to the bar downtown and enjoy myself and have some whiskeys? Yeah. Needless to say, there was no further documented day passes granted anymore, and the pre-approved American Express card that he was given was more than likely confiscated. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He he got a, he got a fucking credit card. I'm <sighs> giving the look because that's why she's saying yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, I, what the fuck? Yeah, Chrissy's giving me the death stare right now because the information I am saying, unfortunately, is true. And I wish I was making it up, but I'm not. The next time Wayne was noted in the headlines was for his passing. So on March 27th, 2006, at approximately the age of 57 to 58 years old, because once again, we don't know his freaking birthday, Wayne died in Kingston, Ontario. I saw one report that claimed he had died of skin cancer. However, in another report I read, it stated that his death was ruled of being, quote, natural causes. There was also a discrepancy of whether he died at Kingston Penn or at the Kingston General Hospital. Hence why I started off with the general notion that it was it's just in Kingston. Who knows? He could have been in jail and died. He could have been could have been in the hospital and died. He could have been at a local nearby bar and died. But The main thing is, is that he's no longer roaming around Canada or this earth. Probably for the best. Probably for the best. So to kind of summarize this crapshoot, scary, awful horrendousness, aka 
Wayne Bowden. This case has the makings of a true horror script. A good-looking salesman by day turned horrible murderer by night, with his victims being young women who probably had no idea the monster behind the eyes. I did see some information relating Wayne to that of my least favorite human being, Ted Bundy. Both were described good-looking white men of privilege who were able to forcefully attack their victims in order of getting what they wanted, which was their sick, twisted needs to be met. Not only that, but Ted and Wing both seemed to have very sadistic approaches when it came to sex and eventually murder. I was unable to find the whole fixation on Wayne biting his victim's chest area or kind of why he did what he did, which makes this case even creepier as sometimes knowing the motive can help people on the outside looking into a situation try to understand it better. And when we understand things better, it seems less scary. This is just another reminder that the scariest creature on earth isn't necessarily a monster, a ghost, or a goblin, but rather a human being. And that is my case that is terrifying <laughs> yes and you know what isn't terrifying though your sources my resources so shout out to google maps yo you, you great little thing you i love you to bits uh shout out to the number one movers website www.numberonemovers.ca <laughs> i don't remember referencing them specifically but anyways uh they're on my list the alcatron website updated april 15th 2021 find a grave website for wayne clefford bowden created by grave tagger added december 5th 2011 with the id number being 81579149 the gazette newspaper article doesn't look like a killer written by albert noel on April 13th, 1972, the hwsdb.on.ca website, the serial killer calendar website, Wayne Clifford Bowden, the Vampire Rapist by Aaron Kirkland, good old Murderpedia, the Encyclopedia of Modern Serial Killers book by Michael Newton, published by Checkmark Books, and last but certainly not least, thank you to the Edmonton Journal article, Killers Escape Upsets Kaplan, as well as Alex and Christie. The author is unknown, and that was published on May 7th, 1984. Now, Christy, this has been a long episode, but do you mind telling our lovely listeners who are probably spooked, locking their doors, blowing out their candles, crawling into bed with the blankets over top, asking themselves, why did I listen to this episode? Hopefully, you know because they're scared and not because we're awful. But can you tell them where they can find us, where they can support the show, uh, how to say hello, all those fun things that you do at the end of every episode? Yes, and I'm actually first going to say, if you're reading up your sources and you have that really long number, and all I could think of all of a sudden was like, 877-CASH-NOW, or something stupid like that. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we just referenced that in another episode. I feel like we did. Every time we say number, I'm like, do-do-do-do, and just get the song going. But we will jump back into... The ending, as I said, our yeah. sources and what's going on from where you can find us. So we are on a variety of platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, Spotify, you're on Apple, go on, give a review, give some stars, greatly appreciated, good free way to help all your podcast friends. You can also support us on our other media platforms of TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you're looking for some more redistractions, you can find us on Patreon. Another secondary option to helping out your podcast friends, a bit monetized, but you get some extra goodies. There's two tiers of bonus monthly episodes. You get some behind the scenes footage, you get some stickers. So it's just a bonus all around. You want to get on it. Also, I want to give a shout out to our current patrons of Tom, Bailey, and Angela. 
And again, thank you to Angela for the topic idea for this little extravaganza. Yes. And we have another new patron. Oh, yes. We, boy. Yeah. So <laughs> shout out to my dad <laughs> for helping the show. Appreciate it. And thank you, Tom Bailey and Angela. We love you. You know this already. And we just we appreciate that we're having this little weird family on a whole different platform where, you know, we, we talk weird things and we have all this extra stuff going on. So if you want to join our little weird family, that's definitely not a cult. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Find us on Patreon. Aside from Patreon, though, if you want another monetized option for helping us out, we have Buy Me a Coffee. There's a little bit here and there, a little sprinkle help. Or you can go on Redbubble and you can find a variety of different graphics that we have made on books, cups, sweaters, whatever you want. Especially with spooky season coming up, as in today, you should buy some things. Yes, it's Halloween. Treat yourself. And not to bring up the elephant in the room, because it is Halloween and we should not be talking about the other holiday that we have coming up. A.K.A. Christmas and any other december e holidays but yeah things coming up where you have to buy people things but hey if you have a family member or a friend or heck even if your dog likes the show get him a sweater get him a hat get him i don't even know if we have hats let me take that back get him a wall clock just hop on redbubble and i will say redbubble has been having i think monthly discount promos for the last couple of months they've been doing that so definitely check it out definitely check it out Look out for the deals. Get some goods. Treat yourself. Lastly, we want to hear from you, our lovely supporters and listeners. Yes. yes. We're doing our listener distractions as always. We want to give you some more content. Please send us your stories because we want to share that with the people. Yeah. People want the goods. We want to share the goods with them. So send us in your stories. Scary, not scary, weird. Just anything. Give it to us and we will bless the patron audience we have with your story well and and our regular listeners as well because yes all all patrons yeah all all patrons of weird distractions podcast and just to kind of emphasize too we did one in june we would love to do another one because reading other people's wild stories of true crime and paranormal activity and what have you is so much fun so you should email us because don't you want us to have fun yes podcast at look.com by the way yeah, yeah, email us. That'd be great. And you know what, Christy? It's been a long recording session. It has. It's been great, though. It's been great. And you know what? Happy Halloween to everyone that's celebrating. Be safe, be spooky, be weird. And if someone comes up to you and says, hey, do you want to invest in my life insurance policy? Say no. Bite them yeah, and say run no. Run away. Yeah, yeah. And if you need a distraction. We got you. Bye. Bye. host of Reverie True Crime. I tell stories of helpless victims, vicious killers, predators watching their prey before they strike, survivors, petty crimes, people we think we know who do the unthinkable, and the dangers that lurk not only in the dead of night, but in plain sight and the light of day. 
Every once in a while, I'll also tell stories of the frightening paranormal, elusive cryptids, haunted locations, and conspiracies that may be silly or thought-provoking. You can listen to Reverie True Crime wherever you're listening to this podcast. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at Reverie Crime Pod, Facebook, Instagram, and even Tumblr at Reverie True Crime. Remember, stay safe, be aware of your surroundings at all times, and take care.